Man, there's a lot of kiddos, eh? That's fantastic. Wow. That's cool. Had an opportunity yesterday to meet with uh, a couple of our international workers um, and had a really good conversation with one of them in particular who was talking about um, they've been studying uh, Christianity, the trend of Christianity through the ages, and they have anecdotal, like I guess it's not anecdotal, it's researched evidence, um, researched evidence that it, it only takes a generation uh, to, uh, for Christianity to disappear in, an, in a nation or in a country. But it only takes a generation for Christianity to, to jump up in a country or in a nation. So both of those things are true. And I'm excited to see our young people. Nate was being a little modest. We had, I think, 37 youth on one Wednesday night, and 35 children were there, I think, at the last time we had children's ministry. Um, so we're, we've got quite a... That's 72, right? I don't know if we have 72 adults in the room right now. <laughs> youth and young and children that are hearing about Jesus and getting excited for what Jesus is doing in their lives. It's just wonderful. So we have an amazing generation coming up, uh, and maybe it's a challenge for us as adults to press in even deeper. Well, today's a good day, but it doesn't come without its difficulties. I'm preaching today on, on uh, unity in diversity uh, from a passage in John chapter 17. Uh, but instead of going straight to the text this morning, I want to start by showing you why this topic is vitally important to us. You're aware, I'm sure, about the war that's going on right now between Russia and the Ukraine. Many people, uh, men, women, and children are being displaced and many are being killed. Uh, we have Alliance International workers on the ground right now in Poland and other neighboring countries who are receiving refugees uh, fleeing from the country. Uh, my son Gavin was talking about how he is aware, I'm not sure if the, he knows some of them, but there's a couple of different YWAM teams who are heading over to Poland and Germany to help out wherever they can with this humanitarian crisis. The world f seems to be focused right now on what's happening between the Ukraine and Russia. There are boycotts. You've probably seen it. If you, if you don't know what's going on, this is why, or why they say anyways that the price at the pumps for gas is so high. There's boycotts uh, of trade with Russia, both on the import and export side of things. I, I think we need to remember as well, there are Russians in Russia who are not in support of this war, and there is suffering in Russia happening right now as well. There are many believers in both Ukraine and Russia protesting and praying. In the Ukraine, there are people hiding in fear in subway stations. And like I said earlier, fleeing the country, and there are those that are being killed by tanks and bomber planes. Lives are being lost, and, and trauma is happening widespread. Would you just, let's just pause for a minute. Let's pray for what's happening right now in the Ukraine. Heavenly Father, we know that you weep over the tragedy that's happening today. You weep for all of your created people who you want to know you, whether they're Russian or Ukraine or whatever. You weep for every single one of them. 
So Jesus, we just, we join with you in weeping. We join with you in grieving what's happening. And we just speak your peace over the nations. God, we, we just speak to those that are, that are hiding right now today. Who are in fear for their lives. We just speak your peace over them, Jesus. We call their spirits to attention right now to rise up in their souls and their bodies, to to recognize your presence, Jesus, right there with them, your compassionate, comforting presence there. And speak your peace over those people that are hiding. God, for those that are in the tanks or fighting, we call your spirits to attention right now to rise up, to lead your souls and your bodies, to be at peace to turn off the tanks, to drop the weapons, to recognize the presence of Jesus right there with you right now and to be at peace. We call the leaders. We name you out, Putin and and other leaders in the Russian government and Zelensky and other leaders in the Ukrainian government and other leaders across the world in, in China and in the U.S. and in Canada. You leaders, we call you out right now and we we call your spirit to attention, to rise up, to lead your souls and your bodies, to come into peace right now, to recognize the presence of Jesus Christ there with you, that you would know him, that you would make decisions that would honor God, that you would come into revival even right now, that your heart would come into alignment with God's heart, and that you would see Jesus right now. God, we pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, in Russia as it is in heaven, in Ukraine as it is in heaven, in China as it is in heaven, in the U.S. as it is in heaven, in Canada as it is in heaven, across this world, Lord, as it is in heaven. May you be honored and glorified, Lord, and may your presence hover brilliantly over these nations. We thank you, Jesus, and we trust in your faithfulness and pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. As I've been praying these last couple weeks for for the Ukraine, my thoughts have turned to our own community. Now, we believe, as Scripture says, that there is only one way, there is only one way to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And is that, that is to know Jesus, to put our faith and our trust in him. The alternative to eternity in heaven is eternity in hell without Jesus. And that is a terrible, terrible situation. How many people in our community do you think die each week without having put their faith in Jesus? The war in Ukraine is a travesty. It's a travesty, and it's worthy of our time to pray, but that is not the only disaster that is happening in our world right now. The greater and gravest disaster is that people are perishing. They're perishing every day, going off into an eternity without knowing Jesus. And I wonder if we know how many people are perishing today, even right in our backyard, without knowing Jesus. How many of our neighbors, friends, and relatives don't know who Jesus is today, and are heading towards an eternity without him, heading towards an eternity without the presence of Jesus. That's a travesty. It's a disaster of eternal proportions, and it should break our hearts. 
It should break our hearts. And that's the context for the message today. The people are perishing in our world. Whether they be Ukrainian or Russian or Canadian, the people are perishing in our world today. And they don't know, many of them don't know Jesus. There is nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than this. In the middle of all of this, though, God has a plan. God has a plan to save the world. God has a plan to show himself to the world so that the world will know who he is, how much he loves the world, and how the world can find salvation and enter into a relationship with God for all of eternity. God has a plan. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that God is not afraid? He is not trembling. He has not abdicated his throne. God has a plan. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that makes my head swim. God's great plan to reveal salvation to the world is you. I need a Kleenex. There's too much crying this morning. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. No, sorry, I make no more promises, no promises that, that that will be the end of it. But for now, we're okay. God's great plan to reveal himself to the world is you. It's you. Not just you. Not just you, of course. You and me and, and this guy over here and that lady over there. God's great plan is to use us to reveal himself to the world. And yes, it may seem ludicrous for God to entrust you and I with the most important message of the entire universe. But then again, God has a penchant for choosing the unlikeliest of heroes. Jesus had lots of followers. The number fluctuated at times. It seemed to be there were there seemed to be thousands of people that followed him at one point, and sometimes there was just a handful. But there was a consistent uh, group of people who followed Jesus, the 12 disciples. They, they were the inner group, this group that Jesus spent most of his time with. And one of those was an unlikely hero. His name was Matthew, and he's known as Matthew the tax collector. Now, you guys, we've talked about tax collectors in the last few weeks, but you would know that being a Jewish tax collector was one of the most reviled professions amongst the Jewish people. I mean, just think, it's not hard, right? It's not hard. If you just think of the CRA today, right? Okay, so if there's anybody on listening online, you've worked with the CRA or anything, you're wonderful and everything, but sometimes we get a little bit of our hackles up around you. But even in this time, especially in the Roman time, the Roman occupation of Israel, the tax collectors were reviled. They were the stooges of the Roman government. They collected, collected taxes from their own people, making their own wealth by charging more than what was required to charge and pocketing the excess. Even if a tax collector was fair and only charged what was required, they were still seen as tools 
for the hated government. You can see in Scripture that often the religious elite condemned Jesus for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. It wasn't good enough just to say sinners and just talk about all of the sinners. There was a special place of contempt for the tax collectors, a special place of ridicule. Not just was Jesus hanging out with sinners, but he was also hanging out with tax collectors. Everyday, ordinary Jewish people hated tax collectors for their collaboration with the government. And yet Jesus chose Matthew, a tax collector, to be one of his inner group, one of the twelve. There was another unlikely hero, another of the twelve, named Simon. Now, not Simon Peter, as we normally think of, but another person who was Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots were a group of uh, Jewish people who were bent on anti-Roman revolution. They were anarchists who longed for the return of the Messiah as a conquering war hero. Somebody could lead the charge as we destroyed the Roman government in a bloody battle. They wanted glorious and violent destruction of their oppressors. And yet Jesus also chose Simon, a zealot, to be one of his inner group, one of the twelve. Now can you imagine, can you imagine these two together, a tax collector and a zealot, together as a part of the twelve inner circle chosen by Jesus? I can imagine that they would have had some interesting moments together and potentially some heated debates. This is the group, and a, an apparent hodgepodge gathering, which also included others from various backgrounds and occupations. This is the group to whom Jesus entrusted the building of his kingdom. I think I would have picked a different group. But I wonder if the picking of the group wasn't as hodgepodge as, as you and I might think. I wonder if Jesus had a reason for picking just this crew. I wonder if there wasn't something powerful about picking a collaborator and an anarchist. The passage of Scripture we're focusing on today in John chapter 17 is found at the end of a larger discourse, like a kind of a, 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 a large conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Jesus is speaking and encouraging his uh, disciples at the, at the end of his time with him. This all begins in John chapter 13. Here's how it begins. John chapter 13, verse 1. Here's what's written. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the fathers. You can see right away, this is what's happening. Jesus is sitting down with his disciples because he knows the time is at hand. This section of scripture goes here from John chapter 13 all the way to the end of John chapter 17. And then in John chapter 18, Jesus is arrested and he's taken off to be crucified. John records in these five chapters the last moments Jesus spends with his disciples and his last words to them on this earth. Jesus states several times that he is about to leave. Jesus knows this is his last opportunity, not, not his last moment on earth, because after his resurrection, he spends more time teaching them, but this is his last moment before his death. 
Jesus knows it's his last opportunity to impart to his disciples the most important thing that needs to be said. Now, the whole of these five chapters is important. If you have a chance later on to read through here, this is a fantastic section of Scripture. But I want to draw out just a couple of key verses from these five chapters to kind of give you a flavor of the theme of what Jesus is speaking about. The first is from chapter 13, where Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now remember that Jesus is speaking to to whom? Simon and Matthew, the tax collector and the zealot. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is super important to Jesus. Love each other because everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus goes on in chapter 14. He says this, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, this is strange language, right? This is, this is a little bit confusing. But earlier in this chapter, in chapter 14, Jesus speaks about uh, how if you've seen me, if you've seen the Father, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. It's this beautiful picture of the Trinity. But now here in, in verse 19, Jesus adds, soon the world won't see me anymore. And he says, you are in me and I am in you. So here's our two big themes. Jesus has already laid out in chapters 13 and 14 our two big themes for this whole section. Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, and the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And now, Jesus says, while the world doesn't see me anymore, you are in me and I am in you. Those are our two big themes for the whole of these five chapters. To overstate it again, Jesus moves into chapter 15. And he gives this analogy, this illustration. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's the, I'm in you, and you're in me, part of the theme. Right away in verse 12 of chapter 15, Jesus repeats what he said earlier. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He goes back and forth between these two themes throughout all of these chapters. The two themes, Jesus is in them. They are in Jesus. Love each other as I have loved you. This all comes to a rousing conclusion as Jesus prays for his disciples, as he sends them out. So he kind of gives them a little mini commissioning here, saying that they're going to, he's praying for them, and he's praying the Father will bless them as they go out into the world without him. 
And then our passage of Scripture that we're looking at today comes immediately after he prays for his current disciples who are about to go out into the world without them. Jesus now turns his sight not just upon the disciples that are at his feet as he's teaching in these last moments of his life. His sights turn to everyone who's going to believe in the message that is preached from these disciples and their disciples and their disciples. Jesus prays for every person who's ever going to believe in his name, which includes all of us. And here is the passage that we are looking at today. John 17, starting in verse 20. Here's what Jesus says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples that are gathered around his feet. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's all of us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the culmination of these five chapters of Scripture as he comes to these prayer times for his disciples and also for all of us. Do you see the the two parts of the theme playing out here in this passage? That Jesus wants us to love one another as we have been loved and that Jesus is in us even as we are in him. There, There are two parts to this prayer. The first part is emphasizing this theme. Jesus is praying that we would be one as he and the Father are one. The Father in the Son and the Son in the Father. And then get this, us in them. Us in them. You and me in the Father and in the Son and them in us, revealing the love of the Father. Now, a good way to understand this, long ago with our church fathers, like long, long, long ago, they came up with this idea of, the, uh, of being able to represent the Trinity. Now, now, it's this idea of the perichoresis. You may have heard about this before, uh, but it's an, a way of understanding the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And generally, nowadays, we depict that as a triangle with the Father up top and the Holy Spirit on one side and Jesus on the other side. But in this early understanding of the Trinity, the perichoresis is a way of seeing the Trinity not so much like a triangle, but more of a circle dance. This idea of the Father being in the Son, and the Son in the Spirit, and the Spirit in the Father, and round and round they go in this mutual submission and connection to each other, each of them in the other. The, the circle dance, this perichoresis, that doesn't emphasize one over the other. Rather, it emphasizes the three persons of the Godhead in deep relationship with the others. And the the understanding here, the binding agent for the Trinity, the thing that holds the Trinity together is love. That's the understanding of the perichoresis. That what holds the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together is love. 
It's a perfect example of what Jesus is getting at here in this section from John 13 to 17. Why is love so important? Why is love so important? Because this is the very makeup of the character of God. And it's the thing that holds the Godhead together. Jesus overemphasizes the love he has revealed to his disciples because it is the binding agent of God. And Jesus overemphasizes his relationship to the Father. Jesus and the Father and the Father and Jesus, the Godhead being one, united in each other, because that is what we also are invited into. Jesus prays for us to be one as he and the Father are one. He and the Father and the Father in him and us in them and them in us. You see, the circle dance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not exclusive. Jesus invites us into this loving oneness as recipients of the love of the Godhead. To be in, in Christ, to be in the Father, to be in the Spirit, to be in this circle dance of love, experiencing the presence of God in a deep and loving way. We're invited to come into this relationship so that truly Christ can be in us and we can be in Christ. So that's the first part of Jesus' prayer. Remember I said that the prayer Jesus prays for us has two parts to it. That's the first part Jesus in us, us in Jesus, in love. That's the first part. But I want you to look now at what Jesus, the, the reason for why this is so important. The reason for why this is so important. The first part, of course, is important. To understand that, that the Father is in Jesus, and, and Jesus is in the Father, and, and that we're in Jesus, and, and we are, Jesus is in us, and, and that we experience the, the love of Christ, and it binds us all together. That's super important. But this prayer that Jesus is praying, he gives all that as background. And he says, this is all, this is all so important to, to this aspect here. And here's what he talks about. Look at what he says. Here's the reason why Jesus is talking about all this stuff. John 17, 23. I, Jesus, in them, and you, Father, in me, so that they may be brought, be brought to complete unity. So that's the first part. And then he says this. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It echoes back to what Jesus said earlier, a new command I give you, that you would love one another. Jesus prays for us to be united, to love each other, to be in him and him in us. Why? So that the world will know him. So that the world would know him. Do, do you see the importance of this? Are, are you picking up on why Jesus is spending so much time talking about this? All of the chapters, 13 to 17, the last words of Jesus before he goes to the cross are all focused around this one thing. This one thing. People in our world are perishing. They're moving from this life into the next without knowing Jesus. And we, the church, have been commissioned with a singular 
purpose to convey to the world the revelation of Jesus Christ, to reflect to the world the self-sacrificing love that Jesus manifested on the cross, to be able to be on display, we, us, being on display for the world to see who God is, to know Jesus because of our unity and because of our love for another. That is how the world sees who God is. We show the world the unity of the Trinity and the love of God by showing to the world the unity of the people of Christ and the love we have for one another. This is our singular purpose. Because Jesus is not walking around on the earth anymore. He's not walking around on the earth anymore. And I don't know if you've heard this a bunch of times or not, but now, people have said to me, I don't, I don't see God. Do you see God? I can't see God. How can I believe in a God that I can't see? The world doesn't see Jesus walking around anymore. But the world does see his church. The world does see his church. So are we reflecting his unity? Are we reflecting his love? Does the world see Jesus in and through us? And what I find really, I guess, exciting about this is that Jesus did this with a tax collector and a zealot. What a strange couple of people to pick. But what a good example for us. I think about the last two years and how much division we've seen through this time of COVID. And I don't know about you, but one of the biggest things that I've seen out of COVID is, is not the disease or not the whatever. I've seen such division, such division. And we see division in our culture. Of course we see division in our culture. That's to be expected. But I've been grieved over how much division I've been seeing in the church. I've been grieved. And not just the church at large, but in our own church. The division that we've been seeing in our own church. And Jesus gives us the example of the tax collector and the zealot. The tax collector and the zealot. Do you see any modern day examples of those who side with the government and those who do not? I'm not trying to get into a conversation here. But you do know what I'm talking about, don't you? On what side would you find yourself? Don't yell it out, just think in your own head. What side would you find yourself? Would you be Team Matthew? Or would you be Team Simon? Who, who out of that duo would have been right? Who was right? I wonder if Jesus chose such divergent people. Because there was something powerful about bringing people from two opposing sides into into something different. And I don't think Matthew and Simon gave up all their old friends. Matthew had tax collector friends still. Simon had zealot friends still. And certainly Matthew and Simon were changed by Jesus. But I think because of their unity of purpose and their diversity of background, each of them was able to reach out to a whole different crew of people. A whole different crew of people. Matthew could, could walk into a group of tax collectors and have automatic street cred. 
Simon could not. If, if Simon the zealot came walking into a, a, a house full of tax collectors, what would happen? They'd run, probably, because they're thinking, this guy's a zealot. He's going to kill us. If, if Matthew the tax collector had walked into a room full of zealots, <laughs> he would not have lasted long. But, but imagine Jesus picking a, a people from each group and choosing to give them a common purpose and then tell them, love each other. In the middle of their, their diversity, the love and the unity of Jesus had changed Matthew and Simon. Matthew was able to reveal the love of Jesus to one kind of people, even as he loved Simon. And Simon was able to reveal the love of Jesus to another kind of people, even as he loved Matthew. And I think their diversity, though it could have been a divisive thing for them, and maybe it was at times, it, it was in the end not a divisive thing for them. Rather, as they learned to love each other in their diversity, they truly reflected the unity and the love of God. Folks, how are you doing with this today? How are you doing with this today? Do you need other Christians to think like you in order to love them? Take a little glance around you at the people in this room. Just look. If you're up here, look way back at the back over there. Just look around for a moment and see who's around you. Goodness gracious, we are different people, aren't we? With really different thoughts and personalities and beliefs about politics and culture and all kinds of things. And believe me, I mean, I know we look around this room a little bit. We're like, yeah, we're very different. Some of us are very much the same. But in the wide world of Christianity, there is such a diverse opinion, a diverse thoughts, diverse cultures, and, and all kinds of stuff. There is such diversity within the family of God. If you don't believe me, just go to a different country someday and go to their church and see what, how it feels different. Not wrong, just different. In the kingdom of God, there is great diversity. And we lose something when we allow something like politics or culture when we allow politics or culture to divide us, we lose something. And in fact, in these last two years, we've lost a lot due to secondary issues that we have allowed to become primary. I wonder if Matthew, the tax collector, was really going to hold hard to his stance, what that would have done to the disciples, or if Simon the Zealot would have held hard to his stance, what that would have done to the disciples. So we don't all think alike, and I think that's actually a really good thing. I think it's a really good thing. But in our diversity, can we unite around our primary calling and purpose to center around the good news of Jesus Christ? Can we do that? Can we allow our diversity to be a strength for us, actually, as we show the world what it looks like to be united in Christ, revealing his love to each other, and in that way, Revealing his love to the world. Because the world is in desperate need for the church to do this very thing. 
And I'm going to have a vulnerable and honest moment with you here. I don't know if all of you know this, but our church is governed by a board of elders. And we as your board of elders have not always done this well. There has been times of division. And one of those times has happened recently. And one of our elders, Boyd Fletcher, has recently resigned from the board. Um, This was back in February. Following three months of struggle and wrestle and conversations about following COVID restrictions in the church. As a board, we struggled and we wrestled and we tried to come to an understanding of where we were going to land with this. We wrestled with how to respond in this COVID era as, as people were getting increasingly tired of following what seemed to be to some arbitrary and, and shifting rules. Some held strong to following government regulations and others didn't want to follow so strongly and we struggled with that. We had Matthews and Simons on the board. And after having those wrestling conversations, things came to a decision point. And we as a board had trouble finding a way forward within our diversity of convictions. And due to the manner that we sought to move forward, Boyd felt he needed to tender his resignation, which we reluctantly accepted. And Boyd did not step off the board in anger or bitterness, but he did step off. And as a board, we tried to find a way forward that respected our diversity, but in the end, we did not. We failed in that. And we regret not finding a better way forward. And we regret losing Boyd in that way. Now, Boyd and I have had further conversations, and we found some reconciliation and some forgiveness for each other, and we love each other still. But this unity and diversity thing, we've struggled with it. We've struggled with it, particularly in this last two years. We've struggled with it. We love each other still, but it's hard. It's hard and we struggle. And so I stand here on behalf of the board and I apologize to you as a congregation. And I admit admit that we don't do this well all the time. And it would be easy for me to look at other churches and look at the broader scope of Christianity and say, none of us agree. But we failed at this. And so I do ask for your forgiveness. And I don't, ta- I don't take this topic lightly. When Jesus says that the purpose for our loving each other and being in unity is so that the world will know about him, When we are not in unity together, and when we're not loving towards each other, we don't reflect him well. And so we recognize that this is super important, and it's also super hard. So, again, I apologize on behalf of the board that we have not done the best job that we could have done in this last season. And I wonder if maybe you might be in a similar position where at some point in this last two years you've been faced with difficulty in being able to love each other and be united together. And I wonder if there's been some relationships that have been strained, family relationships strained, neighbors strained, friends strained, work associates strained in this last season. And if that is true of you, well, then we're kind of all in the same place, aren't we?
And like I said earlier, I don't think I would have entrusted the message of Jesus to the people Jesus entrusted it to. And in fact, there are many times that I feel uh, personally incapable of carrying this message well. As a board, we are flawed people. As a pastor, I'm a flawed person. As a church, we're made up of flawed people, aren't we? And we recognize that apart from Christ, we can bear no fruit. We can bear no fruit. But therein lies the secret, because in Christ, we can actually bear much fruit. So can we try again? Can we try to do this better? Can we try to be reconciled, to love each other, and be united? We have committed ourselves as a board to do just that, to work towards unity and reconciliation and, and love, to do that to our best abilities. And we will fail again, but we will continue to press into that. As a church, can we commit to that, to working our best at unity, working our best at loving each other, working our best at being reconciled to each other, can we try to love each other well and stand united in our diversity? And here's the reason, guys. Here's the reason. This is not just a game. This is not just a game. There are people in our world that are perishing right now, who are perishing. Matthews and Simons. People in our world that are perishing without knowing Jesus. And we desperately need for Christ to be in us and us in Christ and united together and loving each other as he loves us. Because the, the potential for the world to not see Jesus is huge. So the call in this whole series has been to be like Jesus. And so the call is again the same today. Be like Jesus. Let's learn to love each other as Jesus loved us. Let's learn to be united as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is united, even in our diversity. Now I know there's likely going to be some thoughts and some questions here, and so after we have a song and a benediction, there will be some elders at the front here who would be willing to talk with you and to pray with you. If you have a question about what we've walked through and, and, uh, and have some thoughts or some concerns or just want to come and pray, uh, our, our elders will be up here to do that. And if you've been walking through some difficulty in these past two years where you've seen some disunity, where you've seen some brokenness in relationship, whether it's with people around you or family members, or maybe it's even with us. Maybe there is some frustration in you right now. We would love for you to come up, and we'd love to be able to pray together. Because the world needs to see Jesus. And for some ludicrous reason, he has chosen to reveal himself through us. And so this is very important. So before we get to the praying and those type of things, I want to invite you to stand we're going to sing our closing song together, and then I'll come for a benediction, and then I would encourage you to, to come forward and, and pray and speak with us if you're feeling you need to do that. We are crucified with you, Jesus.
church right now, if there is something that you've been hanging on to in pride or something you've been hanging on to, um, I don't mean to belittle convictions at all. Our diversity makes us strong. But if there's something that, that uh, you've been holding on to above the call of Christ, would you just hold that in your hand right now and give that to the Lord? Jesus, we submit to you. We submit to you those things that we've held over the calling that you've given us to be united and love each other and to be used by you to proclaim your gospel to the world. We, we give to you whatever it is we're holding on to that we've held above that calling. And Lord, we know that, that each of us is different and you want to use those differences in your kingdom. But if there is anything that we have held above you, Jesus, what you've called us to, if there's anything that we've held above you, we just lay it at your feet, Jesus. We humble ourselves. We submit to your purpose for our life, Lord, and we give that over to you. Church, would you just give over to Jesus whatever it is you've been hanging on to that you've held on to above the call of Christ? Just lay it at his feet. Lay it at his feet. Jesus, crucify anything in us that should not be there. Take it, Lord. Crucify it and bury it and don't let it resurrect. Let it die today, Jesus, because we want to see you, Jesus. We want to see you glorified in us. We want to see you glorified in us. We want to be one with you, Jesus. And to see you glorified in us because it is just so important, Lord. It is just so important. This calling is so important. Crucify in us, Lord, anything that we've held above you. And Lord, would you forgive us where we have held somebody else to a standard that they weren't supposed to be held to. Lord, you may have placed a conviction in our hearts that we've, we've laid below you, of course, a conviction that is right in us, but we've held other people to the same conviction. Forgive us for doing that and help to bring reconciliation. Lord, help us to be in unity, even in our diversity. We can't do this without you. Jesus, anything we try to do, without you is going to be hollow and broken and it's going to be bad fruit. It's going to be no fruit. It's going to be blank. But Christ, would you come in your church now? Would you come and fill us with your power and your presence that we would bear much fruit, that we would be in the vine, not removed, that we would be in you, Christ. So Jesus, corporately, we just, we ask for your forgiveness again for where we have not walked in the way that you've called us to walk. Thank you for helping us to start over. Lord, we pray, I pray right now for reconciliation. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for healing. I pray for us to be able to be diverse, but to be united. To be able to be uh, loving each other as much as you've loved us. And may you be honored and glorified, Jesus, as we come into alignment with you. As we come into alignment with you. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love each other. Yeah, and we pray all these things in your powerful name, Jesus, and thank you.
Amen.